What serial killer do you find the most attractive, Nancy? Uh, this is important. Is it? Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't ever look at their pictures all that often. Really? Yeah, like I just listen to podcasts about him. But I guess Ted Bundy's pretty attractive, you know? Yeah, Ted, Ted Bundy, like, I don't get it. Like, he, he just looks like a little... Uh, weasel. Yeah, weasel boy <laughs> or something. The Big Hormone Enneagram. Hi, I'm John Lukovic, uh, sexual self-pres, more than five wing, four or five eight trifix. Hi, I'm David Gray, self-pres, sexual, nine with one, nine, seven, four, trifix. What up, it's Emika, I'm an eight wing seven, sexual self-pres, with eight, five, four, fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy, I am a self-pres, social, three, wing four, with a If you like our podcast, guys, make sure you go like and subscribe us on the Apple Podcast app. And if you really like us, you should definitely leave us a review. Welcome to Big Hormone Enneagram. Uh, Today, we are looking at the topic of serial killers with our uh, perversion expert, Nancy. And um, but before we get into that, I just want to plug once again uh, that I'm, you know, taking a coaching clients and um, trying to get a Kickstarter ready for uh, an instinct book that I've worked a lot on for the last couple of years. Yeah. And if you want to support the pod of uh, us four starving poets, uh, <laughs> D-H-E podcast at gmail.com is our um, PayPal. So uh, welcome and take it away, Nancy. I've been listening to like serial killer podcasts nonstop for like the past month and a half. And I don't know why. You're a psychopathic three. <laughs> yeah, what is it yeah. with uh, with like triangle types and? I just love psychopaths, man. I just love true crime. Mm, just it's so great. You know, D- David, I think I had a discussion with you once uh, a long time ago, probably about the death instinct and serial killing. I think you might have sent me a recommendation for a book, and I was wondering if you had any thoughts or if you remember that conversation as to the psychology behind serial killing from an instinctual standpoint, uh, like a sort of a shadow sexual instinct thing, maybe, I don't know if you remember what I'm talking about. The only thing that that's pinging for me is there's an interesting book by a guy named Colin Wilson. who's written a lot of interesting books. John, you might know him. Do you know? Yeah. You sent me the occult. Yeah, which I think mentions Gurdjieff and yeah, other heavy dudes. Uh, anything. Any anyway, he's got a uh, uh, a theory in this book. One of his books called uh, "A Criminal History of Mankind" is the title of the book, and it's about how crime over the course of history has risen along sort of like a correlative ladder to Maslow's hierarchy. And like, we only started having serial killers like in the, like around the 1800s and that particular, and in the sense of somebody that's sort of making an artwork, let's say uh, it's, it's almost an artistic expression of their psychosis Mm -hmm. right like jack the ripper being kind of the first one 
and then all of these you know all of these different serial killers that have like a really specific like torso um, murderers and eyeball murderers and yeah certain motifs where it's where they're like um creating well like that series dexter used the term tableau where there's like it's it's like a theater Mm-hmm. you know where the where the whole thing is set up or or like the movie seven you know it's almost like a stage work um yeah. anyway i don't know if that kind of might have been part of what i mentioned well do you not think it has anything to do with population density david um that's certainly a possibility you know in some sense what it is is that with the industrial revolution and a lot of again, it's Maslow's hierarchy is sort of the correlation. And so, well, what do you what do you mean by Maslow's hierarchy? I don't really, I'm not super familiar with that. Um, I wish I had it in front of me. Maybe someone can look it up. But it's sort of it. You know, it's it's boils down to kind of a, just a diagram of a of a of a really a triangle, an equilateral triangle, oh, and, I see. and it's and and it's got layers mm-hmm. and the bottom layer is just like um physiological needs like air water yeah, so, food shelter yeah, exactly. basic base needs base survival needs yeah and so, the next next layer is uh it's called safety needs like personal security employment resources health property and then the next one is love and belonging like social yeah. friendship and then the last two is uh, esteem, and then the last one is self-actualization. Self-actualization. So, so the point of the book that the the theory that the book is laying out is that at, with the industrial revolution and those lower needs being sort of mainly taken care of, uh, then you have the freedom, even in the realm of crime for people to venture into mm-hmm. the experimental uh relative to their own psychology and and further still the art um and aesthetics of their own uh and and actualizing an um an expression of their own psychosis so it's kind of a it's kind of a you know an almost an expression of uh freedom that comes with having those lower needs already taken care of by the social system in some way. Interesting. I would be curious about serial killers in non-industrial societies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I would suspect that like just given how fucked up industrialism kind of turned the human psyche, I would it, there's something intuitively that I don't know there seems to be something there. And I wonder like when a certain level of you could say hierarchical needs are met thanks to something like industrialization like industrialization allows certain things to be possible um i wonder if it also means that certain what you could say quote unquote base behaviors um have to be repressed more to keep the coherency needed to uh, achieve higher levels of complexity socially and in mm-hmm. so doing i wonder if there's like you know a restraint from uh, a certain kind of practice of aggression, whereas like, you know, in, in the Middle Ages, you could sort of just weave in and out of like being a mercenary or whatever, or a soldier. Um, I mean, I think you, I guess you can still today, but there's a, there's a way in which a kind of a industrialized society is an ordered society in a way that um, 
takes out the savage and so then the serial killer is almost a collective uh channel yeah in some sense for right. for that aggression right and like and really intensely grotesque version of that kind of sloppier aggression and i mean it's like the reason like fantasy stories like archetypally or whatever are often written at the middle ages because it's like uh there's seemingly like a threat of aggression and violence could erupt anywhere whereas an industrial thing it's like it's like focused in crime in certain areas you know what i mean it's like mm -hmm. there's this weird compartmentalization that happens to create the complexity needed for an industrialized society david i think that's that's what i was getting at with my question is i think when we talked about this you were coming at it from um a more instinctual lens because i think mm -hmm. we were i think i had brought up in this thing which I was curious about is uh, a lot of serial killers, mass murderers on death row get like tons of um, mail, like love mail from women. Just women are in love with this this man. So I, I've I've always wondered what is happening in terms of from an attraction standpoint. Uh, what is such a turn on about a man who, or anyone who I guess it's a man who's just killing a fuck ton of people and i think that's where that conversation came from is that this is it's a weird um shadow expression of the sexual instinct in a way and i don't know if this is if i'm getting this right what you were saying but i, I do remember something along those lines like what is attractive about a serial killer what is that tapping into from an so, attraction standpoint yeah so maybe where i was in that conversation way back was something along the lines of i think there's maybe um some women are attracted to men who can encounter chaos in a certain way um okay. yeah i think that's what you were saying and the sexual instinct being uh an, a destabilizing or an unstable instinct if you will or an aspect of it is that at least and and there's a danger or an out of control aspect to it um and going back to what we're talking about with industrialized you know systems social systems that kind of is very solidly self-preservation instinct and social instinct just going mm -hmm. ping 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 you know back and forth with each other right and sort of feeding each other and it's and you kind of have to um press down the sexual instinct um in some sense because it is a it is a, a chaos or a destabilizer relative to all kinds of social systems yeah especially the kind of western industrial system so so yeah so those you know death row serial killers whatever they are are you know representing some kind of um primal capacity to encounter chaos and and again you know with the i'll use the word sophisticated with the sophisticated serial killer and what i mean by that is like the ones that have like a really specific sort of motif or whatever mm -hmm. um that's a certain they're they're kind of controlling mm -hmm. the violence right you're arranging the victim's body in a certain way and so on right so and and you're willing to 
go over the edge, which is kind of a sexual instinct, you know, has a connotation of that, of that, that being at the edge and going into death. And there's always kind of a correlation between or a relationship between sex and death. Yeah. So I guess that's a, that's could be seen as some uh, sort of a perverted sexual display. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree. I think a lot of, I mean, all I know is I listen to a lot of murder podcasts. I'm not a psychologist. So when I say this, just take it with a grain of salt. But I think a lot of the serial killers that I've heard of tend to do it out of like a sense of control. Like they want to control this part of society. Um, and they think it's wrong and bad. So they control it by killing it. And then they're able to live their lives happily because they're controlling that part of society, typically sex workers or gay men. (laughs) Nancy, do you know if there is any decrease in, uh, at least like sexually based serial killing since like the widespread availability of porn? Um, I don't. No, because the most, uh, most of the ones that we've been, like, that we've found and have studied were, like, early 2000s, 90s, 80s. Mm-hmm. So there aren't a huge amount of serial killers that we've been able to, like, or at least that I know of, that we've been able to, like, study and sit down and interview and, like, know of. Yeah, I mean, Since- I don't know shit about serial killers or anything, but I really like the show Mindhunter, right? And <laughs> Mindhunter... Uh, you know, it was about studying the psychology, like the early FBI attempts to study, classify, and take serial killers as a as a phenomenon seriously rather than just being insane. Mm-hmm. And so in the show, there are a whole lot of, um, you know, they act out the interviews they did with real serial killers, like they, they use the transcript as the script for the show. And what I found interesting in watching uh, this was, at least with these men, like Ed Comfer and um, man, a whole bunch that I don't remember the names of, but they all have like uh, typically like very narrow, specific and mm-hmm. sort of depersonal sexual focuses. They all have, or most have at least some kind of weird uh, dark relationship with their mother where their mother it's was always like, the mother, right? Right. It was like extremely dominating and shaming in some way or occupied some like exaggerated like fucked up role in their young manhood or something and um yeah those were the two things that really stood out the most and so i was kind of curious you know so i started looking up serial killers at the time and i didn't find any like the really bizarre ones like like it seemed like it tapered off like i think btk the Mm -hmm. mind torture kill uh killer guy um was one of the last major freaks like this but i think that seems like mass shootings have replaced serial killers in a certain way in our modern era. So I wasn't sure if there was some relationship to like porn being so easy to find now. And maybe like the sexual freakishness is not quite as prominent in a lot of these sick fucks, you know? Yeah, maybe. Cause a lot of them, a lot of the ones that I've heard of do have that weird thing going on with their mom where like either they had like weird mixed up sexual fantasies about their mom or like, and their mom kind of like fostered that in them or um, like they really didn't get along and they really hated their mother and that went down a rabbit hole. <laughs> mm. So I, yeah, it's always the mom. 
I don't really know why. But I mean, and you said it's like the usually the target of a serial killer is usually a sexual object, so to speak, like a, like a woman or a gay man, right? Like somebody mm-hmm. that they've got a mm-hmm. sexual view or lens for, right? Yeah, well, yeah, and a lot of times they view them as like bad. Like, yeah, okay. But desirable too, you know. It's, yeah, yeah, it's a weird combo. And and the access to porn has changed quite a bit in the last decade to 20 years in terms of all the different avenues where you can access it's not just like be able to go to pornhub.com and and watch whatever you want but there are so many acceptable ways to engage with sex workers like cam cam girls or cam guys Mm -hmm. um you know like you can do a whole bunch of shit you know through your computer so easy to get your fix uh, if you have a sex addiction or anything like that um, without anybody really knowing whatever it is you want, you can really interact with sex workers at a level that has never been able, anyone is able to do before. So I have a working theory that, um, serial killers tend to be either ones or sixes personally. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that? Well, I'm leaning towards ones. Um, but it also could be their mental disabilities showing up. <laughs> whatever word you want to use for that i don't know um but they always seem to have like this or a lot of them seem to have this kind of weird black and white between right and wrong and they also seem to be able to flip between lives really easily so that thing that we talked about you mean compartmentalizing yeah like Mm -hmm. yeah like um they'll bury these bodies in their backyard and then go like sleep with their wife in their bed. And that's not like, normal. No, actually it's uh. not, John. You should probably get a therapist. But he is a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Plot twist. Playing all angles of this game. <laughs> he like he's in a room by himself just therapizing himself. <laughs> no, with a bunch of bodies in them. <laughs> <laughs> weird <laughs> and uh something that a lot of serial killers do too is take trophies mm-hmm. from their oh. victims um so i don't really know what that's about i'm just kind of interested with that because like you know there's a lot that like there's a lot of them that take jewelry one of them i just listened to took their eyeballs which i find really interesting God. i think he was the one i think that was ed kemper the eyeball killer i forget i don't I'll look it up while y'all are talking. Yeah, but um, I think he was one because he was just very exact and specific. And um, he was able to forge his uh, bachelor's and master's degrees. And he never actually finished college. Well, um, for example, with with Ed Kemper, I I think it's, it's interesting to look at how certain personalities that people wouldn't expect could commit super horrific violent mm-hmm. you know crimes and especially when it comes to like a type like nine so for example i do think that at kemper if he saw mindhunter the way that he's the actor who plays him did a pretty good job like you know videos of at kemper he's pretty chill like you wouldn't yeah, he's very wholesome um you wouldn't he struck me as a nine at least the way he's portrayed in the show yeah, and well, the real guy isn't that far off from. I think the guy that the that the actor that played him in Mindhunter actually played him more creepy 
than the actual person. The 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 real guy is more unsettling in that he, you would actually like to hang out with this guy. Like there's nothing creepy about him at all. And he really explains and describes how he was living this double life. Like, you know, sort of the nine compartmentalizing uh, multiple selves where he could have conversations with cops and no one would ever suspect that such a nice, wholesome person could do anything like that. And I was watching the video and I could, I couldn't see it. You know, sometimes you can watch mm-hmm. people, you can watch like a Manson and you can tell that this is a murdering, not a, like I'm, he's not a murderer, but he has the capacity to do it. <laughs> yeah. Like you're, um, you're a creep. <laughs> right. But Ed Kemper, you know, he has got that nine thing of just being very low key, very nice. And, um, and almost in a way that the way he was describing his victims, like he had empathy for them. Like, he was yeah, wishing that they would. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a nine ish automatic empathy, whereas I got to do this thing, but you should probably think about escaping. <laughs> so he, he couldn't believe that they would just like give themselves over. But I think that's part of that whole nine thing that he had going on. The other nine serial killer, what's the other one? Dahmer. Some, yeah, some people mm, say Dahmer's mm-hmm. a nine. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I wasn't sure about him. And then I watched some interviews and he's got that creamy. me just like low-key whatever thing that he's got going on so that that was always interesting to me that you know if you read their murders like this is some horrific you know uh horrific murders uh but you know that nine sort of hidden anger thing yeah nines you gotta watch out for them (laughs) yeah and they have they always a lot of them are like really charming and like you would never suspect them and that's how they get so many of their victims Mm -hmm. it's very nine (laughs) that's that's how i do it oh is that why you keep inviting me to texas (laughs) (laughs) why are we deciding to talk about serial killers on an enneagram podcast (laughs) yeah nancy what the fuck yeah I fucking find it interesting that these people are still humans and have um, like personality structures Mm. and can then go like murder someone and dismember them and and fuck their dismembered torso. The psychology of it is certainly endlessly fascinating. And like, yeah, I guess like what I'm I'm still pretty struck by your super ego. Like, I I don't know if I agree that that all ones and sixes, but I think that you're picking up definitely on the super ego element that plays a heavily heavy blockage that leads to this weird stuff and a lot of these guys anyway sorry i interrupted what are you saying emika i just thought of ted bundy as another example of he's three yeah he stood out to me because he was a three and and he's got some pretty good interviews and he's very well spoken and you can see the charm of three like the sort Mm -hmm. of smoothness that he has um where I think he's also, well, I don't remember what his instinct stacking was. He might've been self-pressed sexual, but just explaining how like, I'm just like anyone else. Like, you know, I'm, I'm like um, a part of your community. Like he was a respected part of a, part of a community. He had like mm-hmm. a good job. He was a really charming guy, but then he had this other life where he just cruise around, pick people up, rape and kill them. <laughs> and, um, and so I never really knew if I related to more of a type thing, but I always felt that it was more of a instinctual life, like the extreme end of certain instincts playing out. Like um, I do, I think that there is something in people, you know, like we've talked about the sexual drive, like a shadow 
expression of the sexual drive being like um, something like war, um, how that can be needing this sort of conflict and explosion. And uh, I've always felt like these are some of like examples of instinctual drives just going crazy. Like maybe it's an attraction thing. You're turned on by like, for example, Ten Bundy, he's, he was just really into, he, he said it was a porn thing. Like he blamed it on porn, but like, just oh, let's say you had a sexual um, addiction or sexual um, something you really turned on by, but you didn't really have any way to express it or to well, explore it. And, and you did it, but it's like you've, you raped somebody and then now you have to deal with what you've done. And mm -hmm. so rape and murder kind of go hand in hand. Well, I, I kind of feel like um, it's not necessarily like an instinct thing that's just gone really astray so much, I think, is it's it sounds to me like a, a complicated labyrinth of instinctual desires and repression and mm -hmm. shame. And because to, in order to uh, like, first of all, serial killers are relatively rare, right? Like, it's not like like Ted Bundy, if he blames porn, it's like, well, you know, lots of people watch porn. <laughs> millions of people watch porn. They don't get that fucked up. But, you know, it requires like an intense, intense quality of, of, of compartmentalization that Nancy was speaking to, to be able to do that kind of shit and leave that behind in, in, a, in a space to just like do some other, like just leave it a somewhat regular life instead of just like living in a dumpster and like, <laughs> you know, like you're, you're yeah. not having like a full on psychotic episode in the, from the point, you know, you're not like, like you're still able to have some kind of reality basis and yet see people as like pure meat, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, like that's a real, like there's some level, you know, there's some fucked up thing of the centers going on there. Right. Like yeah. so intense. So I think I don't want people who are listening to get the impression that it's like, yeah, sexual instinct leads to, <laughs> leads yeah. to serial or, killers. Yeah, or sexual Especially blindness sexual leads one. to killing. Yeah, if you're sexual one, <laughs> you're fucked. Lock them up. Lock them up. No, it's, oh, no. I, like, I think it's, I think we need to be clear that like what we're talking about is first of all, it's, it's not necessarily a type based thing, but I think type can be a way to extract like super like talk about something like a super ego or an instinct mm -hmm. or whatever but also yeah. uh it's not like a one-to-one -one thing that we're speaking to it's like i don't know there's there, there's a lot to unpack yeah yeah it's definitely i mean it's not something that like you said it's pretty rare and so you know these people are psychologically fucked up mm -hmm. in more ways than than you can just point to one thing i mean you're probably looking at like you know, whatever childhood traumas that they've had. And, and plus like schizophrenia and yeah. <laughs> Another piece here that I think is pretty important uh, comes up in uh, Camille Paglia's book, Sexual Personae. Uh, in that first chapter of that book, she gets into this um, discussion of the differences between masculine and feminine energy and men and women. And she points out, of course, that extremes of pathology generally happen in men, right? When it's, mm -hmm. and so going along with that, um, you know, one of the things in this chapter is she's uh, getting into the symbolism of the genitalia, right? So the male genitalia is out, it's seen, it's visible, and that kind of represents that whole 
you know, uh, male um, issue with ambiguity, right? You want to see things, you want to name it, right? Whereas women have a, a comfort with ambiguity, you might say, right? It's uncomfortable to men and and men that are in the throes of extreme pathology in some sense are a superman in the sense of um, having a bigger problem with that mystery of the hiddenness of woman. Right. Mm. And so like Jack the Ripper, his thing was to completely peel the woman kind of inside out right mm-hmm. so that all the inside was seen and all that dark and invisible was out and nailed onto a door or whatever <laughs> wow so that's a piece of it is the extreme differences between men and women at the pathological level one of the things though that i i mean maybe this is just my projection but it always seems like Serial killers are kind of like not what I would call that masculine dudes. Oh, well, for they sure. don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. like an interesting thing. Like, like this a- abstracted masculinity, not in connection with the physical body or something. You know, it's with like the that's how. Life. Yeah. Or just like in sensation, just like physical, physical embodiment. And so, like, that's how maybe you can conceptualize like a male or female body into such an abstraction that to destroy it uh doesn't seem like a real like you're not destroying something real or something like you know what i'm trying to say Mm -hmm. nancy what as a woman oh oh uh, oh, great no but like uh, i'm (laughs) curious though i'm curious about like like this sense of this pathology disease that like only seems to infect males right like like what is it like is there awareness of that kind of uh, fucked upness potential that seems intrinsically tied to masculinity for you in the yes. way that you experience maleness? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. I think it's not, but it's not like I'm, I'm having a hard time pinning it, pinning my answer down because it's not like always. Mm-hmm. But there's like an undercurrent you can be sensitive to that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's like a thing at mm-hmm. with certain guys and it tends to be at least the ones that seem insecure mm-hmm. mm. and they tend to overcompensate and they're the ones that are capable and you feel that edge there yeah it's always yeah. there <laughs> it's like oh you could snap my neck this is great i have gone out with so many of those guys in my oh. past life Okay, I need to ask you then. <laughs> what the fuck is the appeal? Because I mean, there's so many of these guys, and it seems like they don't have any issue ha- getting women. So help me understand why did you date these men? <laughs> That's a great question. So I think at the start of it was just because, like, that's what was projected as what I should date. And as, like, a bi girl who didn't know she was bi. Like, I was like, sure, <laughs> I'll date this guy who I'm supposed to find attractive. Um, what, what do you mean by that? That that you mean just like in general society? Well, growing, is- well, specifically my society, right? So I grew up in a Southern conservative church going community. Where'd you grow up? Mechanicsville, Virginia. <laughs> oh, 
So if you can't tell okay, by the name, okay, okay. we're, we're okay. real, real country bumpkins. Um, <laughs> got you, got you. Yeah. Okay. So that was what's projected as, oh, he could provide for you. He can be a good husband. He can, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh-huh. So, so that's what it started as. And then I feel like it kind of was just like what I knew. And then until it got too traumatic, I didn't leave those types of relationships. But once it was like, oh, you're processing this trauma of like all these guys who have like hit you or raped you or otherwise, now we should maybe change men. (laughs) Mm. So uh, would you say there's something about, uh, I don't know, conservative culture or right-wing culture that encourages this this sort of Mm -hmm. socialization in men? Mm -hmm. Definitely. I think that's the only way to exist as a man in, in Southern culture. Well, I wonder, so there's two things coming up. One, I think the topic of masculine insecurity is really interesting in this, you know, of like most assholes are insecure men, right? Like mm-hmm. most killers <laughs> are insecure men. Like, like, I mean, incels are murdering people constantly. It's, there's insecurity in the, in the maleness. And so, you know, that's interesting, but um, also like, I wonder from the point of view of the topic, if there are more serial killers in the South or more serial killers in uh, like conservative areas or, you know, yeah, I guess conservative where you'd find more quote unquote traditional gender roles, or at least a much more limited image of gender roles. Well, I know that um, with family murderers, they Mm -hmm. do tend to have those strong gender roles because what happens is that gender role kind of snaps. And so then they snap. What does that mean? Snapping a gender role? Uh, like, like, so I can't, I can't remember the exact four reasons, but there are like four, um, uh, like categories that family murderers fall into, and all of them have to do with like the male losing, like the way they are viewed in the community, or how much money they make, or their good marriage. So if any of those break, they view the family as, well, you're no longer good to me. You're no longer useful to me because this is all you were doing for me was giving, mm. helping me, you know, get money at work because I didn't have to come home to a dirty house or helping me look good to the community. And now that the community doesn't like me, I'm just going to off you. Interesting. Part so of it is not, is males not integrating the feminine or not having that mm-hmm. in the culture. Mm-hmm. Would you say that, an example of not integrating the feminine is like not like sexual lastness in in men. For example, like the typical SPSO guy, there's no integration of because I, I think the sexual drive is going to add some level of ambiguity in terms of gender with with in a guy. And so like these aspects or or these less hard um directions that a guy can go when there's more integration of the sexual drive I feel like it has to it shows up in these other weird ways like if it's just sps or sosp does that make sense what it was so like what i've noticed in that regard is like it's not necessarily that those stackings by default have less feminine in them but i think that there's a kind of a relationship between uh culture and cultural uh okay like i mean i guess i don't know i don't know which one comes first but like you know 
cultures that you know that come from northern climates, so usually yeah. white people, that have like a non-embodied view of sexual imagery and sexual display. Like, yeah. you know, like if you think of like, we you know we're talking about like the a Southern archetype of a man who's like got a lot of guns and maybe has a <laughs> thick beard. Yep. And, and his uh, shoulders are way bigger than his calves. And yeah, big, <laughs> you know, and then like a big truck, it's like, they're not embodied. They're kind of abstract and like, they're not about the body. And so like what I notice, like when I teach male friends to dance or like I've done <laughs> workshops around the sexual instinct, it's like just men, especially United States have such a lack of embodiment in their pelvis. Mm -hmm. And I mean, uh, it's a story for another time, but I one time went to, um, uh, I went to an orgy just to like, just to, just for fun. And, uh, <laughs> as you do, as you do, and didn't participate, but it was, night. it was fascinating to watch. <laughs> it was like this giant, uh, New York sex party thing. And I was really struck by watching these, first of all, how not sexy it was, but also all these bodies flopping around. And I was like noticing <laughs> how, uh, there was no like life force in these guys' pelvises. And yeah. it was like really noticeable to me. And, and, and so like, Part of like when I teach people to about the sexual instinct, regardless male or female, um, I you know I have I do these like sort of exercises that I developed with my friend Sherry around just like moving the pelvis in certain ways and getting it active and open because I don't find people who might be so self self pressed social from like you know any non white culture to be nearly so. That's true. Yeah, that's limited. true. Yeah. Totally. And is there something about whiteness and the like? I I think call I always call it the North American North European hangover of just like <laughs> tight little rigid uh, rooms to keep heat in where you're in a small space and so you don't learn how to like express from your body as much because you're keeping mm -hmm. heat in all the time. And so th this that's like um, that's so there's a disembodiment that kind of carries carried over that I see in in men all the time. And like when it, so when I teach men to dance. Uh, you know, it's, I think all straight men fear um, looking like, like a kind of a cartoon of like a, a um, like a very flamboyant gay man, like flailing around or something. <laughs> you know, they like don't want to look yeah. like, 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 a, right. like, I'm just taken by the music, like I'm Mariah Carey or something like, you know, like, th there's a, <laughs> there, there, there's a fear that they're going to be kind of look, humiliate themselves. And from the point of view of being too I don't know, swept up or possessed by the music. And, and that's a real thing. Like, uh, you know, it might be silly to like somebody listening or whatever, but it's a real fear from, you know, from a socialization point of view. It's like if you slip outside the bounds of a certain masculine masculinity, uh, then you're no longer um, sexually attractive. You're, you know, and then if you're not sexually attractive, what use are you? So anyway, when, when I'm teaching men to dance, what I, what I show them is like, they have to get in touch because we're talking about integrating the feminine. Uh, but I, what I tell men is like they have to start moving the pelvis in a way that's like the pelvis has to be the feminine within you, right? Like you have to allow the pelvis to have its own volition and movement. You're not always controlling its movement, and but the control comes from you and in, in the topper part, upper part of your body where you're fully self-possessed. Like you know your eye contact, your um, there's a deliberateness, especially in the arms. Like you're not just like bouncing around. You're there's the, so the masculine has to be met with the feminine that's already in your body. And, and that's like the realm of the body in a, in a sense is art, like if we're 
talking Palia, Pagla, Camilla, whatever her name yeah, is. Camille, yeah, Camille Palia. Yeah. You know, the body is the realm of, uh, you know, birth and death and decay and transformation and water and moisture. It's it's a feminine thing, really, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so, for a male to get less abstract and more into the body, uh, there's an encounter with feminine for like feminine forces and Jordan Peterson voice. <laughs> <laughs> they have to actually they have to actually have a meeting and so like i wonder if a lot of this kind of serial killerness is a split off you know i mean mm -hmm. so many problems are split off from the body in in maleness because it's like everything becomes abstracted and then gets really fucked up yeah Does that make any sense yes that, yeah okay. that makes sense well and it makes sense of the problem with the mother right the yeah, mother as a big archetype right so yes this is the body i came from right and the pelvis i came from right, right. And i mean like if you're orgasming you know as a man you're having it's it you're surrendering right mm -hmm. and like um you know there's a, these certain expressions of like ecstasy or certain expression and i don't just mean positive ecstasy i mean like a certain kind of intensity it's like you're you're giving over to something that's, that's sort of swallowing all that control that is uh, reinforced in you as a male from fucking birth, right? And so you have to be able to find an integration with that kind of chaotic force. Otherwise, if it gets if if you're like a a potential serial killer who gets shamed and uh, humiliated over and over about your masculinity and your sexuality, and it becomes just such a split, then it's like your only relation to it is in this like totally perverse, fucked up way. Yeah, I I was curious about how. Um, a lot of these serial killers are playing out some kind of sexual fantasy that they feel that they feel that they couldn't, um, that they were, they felt repressed from, especially like Dahmer, who's gay and, and his parent, his dad or whatever, at, at a time where it wasn't accepted. And it's, of course, his family is super conservative. And so it, sometimes it feels like a lot of these killings are this, these compartmentalizations are happening because there's no way I could even touch this in my regular life. And so I have to, I, I kind of look at it like the way the conservative right, um, a lot of these um, right wing or evangelicals who go so hard against gayness and, and homosexuality end up being like, you know, the, the dudes that go to the truck stops and have um and have these rendezvous and then they get outed but then they want to they want to end up hurting those people like you have mm -hmm. repressed sexual desires and so you enact them somehow but you end up wanting to to erase well you want to erase it because they represent the loss of control mm -hmm. yes but, mm. so i saw i see some of these serial killers and as, as an extreme expression of kind of like the homophobia of people who have um, homosexual desires that you know like an extreme example of something like that well, it's and not it's not totally uncommon for uh like the there's a reason why gay men don't go out with men who just came out because or are just coming out because they are more likely to harm them and abuse them and <laughs> because they like have still such, hate themselves yeah they have so much repression and just all that crap that they're going to end up hurting the person that made them gay. Basically. <laughs> Damn. So Nancy, you got, you got a lineup of any serial killers you want to talk about or. Any serial killers yeah. you want to type. Dylan Millard. Have you guys heard of him? Tell us. 
I have notes. <laughs> I think that, that one guy, the one guy that um, dressed up as a clown. I think. Oh yeah, Gacy. I think he was a two, actually. Oh, that's, that's creepy. Yeah, imagine <laughs> like luring kids or whatever yeah. his thing was with the whole two kind of seduction thing, <laughs> and and being a professional clown. Um, oh, I think I did hear about him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it just all kind of had a two accent to it. Yeah, I don't know if I see any type patterns. It seems like uh, yeah. There's an example of every type because you wouldn't think of a two serial killer. But here we are. <laughs> I don't know. You might not. I've met some twos. <laughs> I've met some twos. Bill Cosby. I forget. That I wouldn't put it yeah, past. No, them. there's some. Yeah. Twos, twos freak be, me out a bit. Twos can be predatorish. Scary. I still don't think that fours fours would have it in them just because they're too lazy. Um, I'm, I resent that. I know, but also you're, I'm not wrong, and you know. <laughs> yeah, like a four wing three would be like wanting to be wanting to like it would be too dirty for a four, like yeah, too non aesthetic, too like base. <laughs> well, there's also that that um, I feel like fours are more in touch with the feminine. Mm, that that is true. Yeah, yeah, that's where I, what I was. Than other say. types, you know. So I feel like they just aren't as likely to be. The serial killer like I, i'm sure a lot of people imagine or you know uh marilyn uh, manson haters imagine that he would be a serial killer but it's like this is such an aesthetic ideal um he's so married to to art mm-hmm. that it's not this like repressed femininity thing that is gonna yeah. explode on people like they've people project <laughs> so much evil on the guy but it's like he hasn't done anything yeah he's just an artist that was one of the points in this book by colin wilson the criminal history of mankind is that there's a actually i don't know how you'd say it but a correlation or relationship between art and crime they're coming from somewhat of a similar space like maybe okay crime is the shadow of art um Hmm. because art like well really good art exceptionally good art is in some sense it's destructive in the sense that Mm -hmm. it's a it's a beauty that you know most people can't match you know there's a there's a there's a force to it right and 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 sometimes new new art forms or uh, you know um refinements of certain art forms sort of kill the previous iteration right yeah, so there's yeah. this kind of creation destruction destruction creation thing and so yeah i i think um to the degree that you know that you can associate for and artistic stuff um proclivities or whatever there is that and a general uh integration of the feminine to me is i think a part of four in general well y'all mm-hmm. know y'all know that i have uh resonated with the myth of orpheus and um, formative uh, interpretation of the myth of Orpheus is by George Bataille, who talks about Orpheus as the myth of the artist who um, he goes into the underworld in pursuit of Eurydice, um, but he, in, you know, in, in returning to the surface, like he can't look back at her. So he gets to the surface, he looks back too early, and he only gets a glimpse of her before she's pulled back into the underworld. And uh, the way he interprets that is 
Um, it's like the artist gets a glimpse of the underworld and brings that glimpse into the day world through the work of art. And so mm-hmm. the, the, the effective artwork is something that takes you outside of the conceptualization of the ego and practical usefulness of the ego and uh, brings you to a space that's beyond egoness. And I think that the erotic and the artistic, when they're really successful, are both effective uh, breaching the ego's like hardlined world, but in a from like a, a, a equal but opposite perversion thing that this like death and dismemberment too is likewise a kind of destruction of the ego, but in a sort of a, a very concrete, crude way. Mm. Mm. Art, death, and sex. Art, death, and sex. Art, if you want to re- reduce it to the utility of art, like art is in a sense of a, a, a sexual ornamentation. It's a sexual mm-hmm. display. Yeah. And right. So that's why it, art and sex can both bring you to a place outside of egoic control and primacy, right? It, because they're both, uh, er, you know, ecstatic in the sense of, uh, taking one beyond stasis that rings true with how a lot of people are different or even opposite to their day-to-day life in the sexual arena in the bedroom they'll yep. be yeah yeah <laughs> oh is that okay <laughs> yep <laughs> <laughs> I'm not referring to myself. I was just agreeing. <laughs> I had an enthusiasm sure. that was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm Very actually funny. really a bitch in the bedroom. I like these <laughs> <laughs> It's a disappointment for a lot of us, man. <laughs> Peg me, please. <laughs> so you get got your notes, Nancy? Yeah. So uh, I have three personal favorites. So Dellen Millard was a like a millionaire. He was like a trust fund baby. And he would kill his victims and then burn them in a, um, uh, what's it called when you're burned when you die? Oh, a pyre, like a funeral pyre? No. Cremation? Yeah, cremation. Like he got like an animal cream crematory and would throw these bodies in there and cremate them and um that one was kind of interesting like anything with the ashes uh no but he would he would rape them before he threw them in there would the cremate be like some kind of ritual yeah i don't know about that one i i didn't get too deep into him was he raping the dead body or the live Mm -hmm. it was the dead body the other one with a lot of necromancy was Gary Ridgway. He would go, he would go like for months, fucking the same dead body. Ooh. He would like go back and visit them, and he would like he would put them in specific spots and go back and visit them and fuck them until uh, people said they were being eaten away by maggots. What? Wow, <laughs> that was yeah. that's a pretty uh, good one. I've never I'm done triggered. it that way. <laughs> However, I do these things. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's that's pretty extreme shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, he what was convicted f- of forty-eight separate murders. Oh, he's the that. Green River Killer. That's who. He, mm-hmm. I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of gets at that embodiment <laughs> thing, right? Where you, because you can't express the sexual instinct through the body, and you're not going to be able to do the mating dance. 
right? You've just, mm -hmm. you solve the problem by killing the woman, right? So you just go straight to it, right? It's, and you go to the sex because, and you don't have to do, you don't have to, because the mating dance is, dance is as much about, you know, the designs you're creating in the other person's mind and the person you're attracting, right? And so you just get to sort of, and and what you're conjuring for them in their body and so part of what these guys are doing is just kind of giving up on that whole embodiment of that whole seduction attraction right and, and, just, and it's also like an ex the destruction aspect of it is a kind of a, mm -hmm. a fucked up expression of yeah. of uh sexual of just getting to because i i think there's something in sports, for example, just violence in general, just of getting off to an explosion of sorts, which is a weird right. expression of of um, the sexual drive when it's uh, like a compartmentalization of the sexual drive. Yeah, that's a whole like other subject is the whole sports thing with masculinity and the sexuality in that or the lack of it or the compartmentalization like scoring a goal scoring a bucket yep. get the ball in the hole in the end zone in the end zone <laughs> um this first guy Dellen miller just scrolling through that guy seems like a nine to me but i that's just a, a quick glance guess um just based on his energy mm -hmm. but um the other two that you mentioned her um, i kind of think could be a nine yeah, he seems like a guy you would never suspect. Well, yeah, he had a whole, like, he had a family. The only reason they caught him was because his wife allowed police to search their property, and they found bones. Okay. Yeah. G Gary Ridgway looks like a fucking maniac. He does, yeah. yes, he like, does. He, he looks unsettling. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's killed 48 people so <laughs> i mean no yeah. it's just the going back and fucking the He's corpse over and over again <laughs> <laughs> what did you say john he's a hot dude dig? he's a hot nancy dude? do you do you dig him nancy no no he was like he looks like hitler yeah he does <laughs> he looks a lot what, like hitler what serial killer do you find the most attractive nancy uh, this is important is it yeah, I, don't, I don't ever look at their pictures all that often really yeah like i just listen to podcasts about he, them. but i guess ted bundy's pretty attractive you know he, ted, ted bundy like i don't get it like he he just looks like a little uh weasel yeah weasel boy or something <laughs> and like yeah i don't get it well i mean attractive in the sense that like he'd, he looks he'd, like anthony he'd Weiner. be fine you know what i mean like he'd be fine yeah i guess it's like I, he's not, it's not some, a guy where I'd like you know come, you, go crawling after him, but like he's fine. Do y'all consider Ted uh, Kaczynski a terrorist or a serial killer? Mm, Probably terrorist because it was political, right? Who's that? Yeah, the, the Unabomber. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the oh Unabomber. yeah, that's that's yeah. that's uh yeah that's yeah uh, that's I'd say that's terrorist. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Type five. Mm -hmm. um, but it had some serial killer. Yeah, elements definitely. in that there were there there was somewhat of a of an art and a and a message right mm. trying to broadcast or convey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. the guy that looks the the creepiest in terms of serial killers is a uh, 
Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. Mm-hmm. Let's see, what's his story? Oh yeah, he does. He was just yeah. breaking into apartments and just raping and torturing <laughs> women. Yeah, he looks um, creepy. Like he he looks like a straight up he looks straight up evil. Yeah. <laughs> like if you were gonna if you were gonna draw a villain in a movie. That that's him. Uh-huh. He's got the pentagram on his hand. Like he yeah, but he crazy. had so many like so <laughs> many women were so into him. Like I think he's a good looking guy generally. Like he's got an evil uh um thing that could work for him. And so there are a lot of women that were just going crazy over this guy like this is this was a weird sexual display that actually worked it's weird me uh i'm looking up real quick though from mind hunter there was the shoe guy oh what the fuck what's that deal what's that what's this trip jerry brudos yeah something like brudos yeah something like that how do you spell his last name brudos b-r-u-d-o-s this What's guy's hot with too. Him? He looks like a thumb. Yeah. So, <laughs> What's his uh, name? Jerry Brudos. And okay. he was a serial killer and necrophile. Oh my god. Four women. He was obsessed with uh shoes. And I guess what he would do is he was a door-to-door salesman. So he'd go inside, he'd uh, overpower a young woman, and I guess he'd take photos of her. And um, you know, rape her and, and kill her. But he was like fanatically attracted to women's shoes. And at least, like you know, I don't know how much is fictional, how much is not. But um, in the in Mindhunter, one of the things they do is, and they're trying to get him to. He's like he's like very uh, smooth in a sense, at least the way he's portrayed. And to kind of throw him off balance, um, in the interview, they put a shoebox out full of women's like. I guess like pump high heel type of shoes or something. And I guess like while he's there, he just can't help himself. He starts masturbating or something like this. Ew. Um, so. Oh, pretty wild. <laughs> I do wonder if like the um, prominency of the BDSM scene has kind of changed how people function with yeah. sexual attractions. Cause I mean, now you have like, um, these parties you have, I mean, and even in Richmond, we have a, a club that does specifically BDSM nights. Yeah, and- I, I was going to mention that earlier. Like, you know, I wonder if if uh, like kink.com and all these mm-hmm. ways of ways of expressing or exploring whatever the fuck normalizing kink. Yeah, you've got like shoes, diapers, fucking all of it. Dress, yeah. you know, just everything that you want is a lot more normalized now you don't have to go force yourself on somebody and then kill them to explore it (laughs) yeah you have the internet and people probably want that (laughs) and people like to fantasize about rape and they're into it sometimes yeah there's rape play and all that kind of shit yeah diapers always gets me (laughs) (laughs) it gets you going david is that what does Uh, it's just like oh there's just i just can't connect to it <laughs> oh, that's the one that's that's it <laughs> out of all the others there's a uh there's a type of kink that's um these men go into rooms with projectors and they project naked women like massively on the screen it's like giant test porn and they pretend that they're tiny people and that they're oh, uh-huh. a giant 
Yeah. <laughs> giant mommy. Yeah, uh-huh. It's very weird. My friend sent it to me. She's like, oh my God, I found a new porn thing. <laughs> it's it's funny to think that maybe like the the wide uh you know access to kink and and ways to explore porn in real life contributed to the end of serial killers in, in some kind of way. And they always thought that porn would ruin our generation. <laughs> It's like you can get your freak on to whatever degree <laughs> you want to in, in this time. You could do whatever the fuck you want without going and killing anybody. <laughs> you don't have to kill the people. You can just fuck them. So the real killers are just going around shooting up schools and churches. Exactly. And, and, well, uh, now, now uh, you know, maybe the particular fetish can be satisfied. But then these incel guys are like watching porn and like i should be able to fuck and then <laughs> i'm so mad without doing anything like without getting a good personality or like exercising right. or uh, doing anything self-improving i don't yeah. understand that though but because you, you can pay for it still right you could just yeah, pay but a lot for of these someone. guys are like you know i mean there's like i don't think it's necessarily about sex per se i think it's the sense of just being wanted pugnant and want versus wanted and mm-hmm. being you know like there, there's so much about um like and i'm not saying the opposite's not true but there's so much about a male relationship to the feminine in terms of just self-worth and seeing oneself mm-hmm. as like having any value whatsoever you're like mm-hmm. trying to like yeah. you know get your mom's attention from the second you're born and then you know then all these other women you're trying to like be accepted as a masculine being from a feminine point of view, you know, and so yeah. there's all these like, like how much, like, like, first of all, we have almost no concept of the masculine, like in a real embodied sense in our culture. And so mm-hmm. you have all these outwards, it's just like capitalism. It's like buying to be right. It's like, oh, I shop at Whole Foods. So I'm like really woke or whatever. It's like, we, we shop for how like identity. And so in the same way we shop for masculinity. Mm. And so like guns our obsession with guns like is in part i think because of a, a certain lack of masculine inner quality and so it's like yeah. these phallic objects that were just people just fucking obsessed with that are you know fun but like not that great and so anyway it's like going for all these external signifiers and like you know the whole chad versus virgin meme you know it's like <laughs> it's all externals of like appearance and 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 you know bone shape and muscle and dick size and all the kind of you know it's just like just becomes completely hollow image and if you're naturally whatever that means like temperamentally or physically not inclined to be any of those masculine images and so you start becoming so alienated from the body and so uh obsessed with your own alien and you know like we don't have real social relationships anymore so like people just hang out on the internet where whatever pathology you want you can find more of it and so then it just becomes this like weird self-hatred thing and i mean it's very primitive because um you know from what from what certain anthropologists understand about early human sexual dynamics like you know that there was there was a widely shared sexuality amongst tight-knit group right so it wasn't like monogamy and so there might be temporary monogamy but not long-term monogamy and so you know, uh, the core of most human social groups in, you know, prehistoric times or whatever, uh, were matrilineal because you knew who your mom was. And so like they were the, the, the feminine relationships were the core of the whole society. And so as a male, 
part of being a useful male was um, not just being like a hunter and fighter, but also being able to be loved and accepted by women. And so they actually, like certain anthropologists actually think that there's basically roving groups of incel guys. Oh. And you see, you see certain kinds of like similar corollaries in different primates, not necessarily incels, but like, you know, the outcasts will kind of bound, bound, bind, excuse me, bind together. Mm-hmm. And so like the, the fear of rejection by the feminine, like, mm. is not just, I won't survive because my mom won't feed me or because of, you know, for sex itself or anything like that. It's, it's also this complete sense of exile, you know, it's just really deep. Yeah, and a lot of these incel dudes that I've seen, like some of them talk about um, wanting to get cosmetic surgery so that they can be handsome. And you see photos of these guys. It's like, you don't look that bad. Yeah. Right. Like, Men you know, don't you think, have to be attractive to get women. Exactly. Like, you know, you've you seen have to believe <laughs> um, like you know, these regular looking guys that are like, you know, no one will look at me. No one was interested in me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, it doesn't make any sense, but they've attached to this ideology. Um, so and that ideology makes them even less attractive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, a self-fulfilling I, prophecy. It's something I've been, I've been kind of, uh, thinking about and fascinated by because I recognize qualities in certain people I know that I feel like could be accountable to this theory is that, you know, just like in, in infancy, you, you, you develop personality, like there's the object relational separation individuation stages, right? Mm-hmm. And those are like separation individuation is a um, early life sequence of events that start you to separate from a kind of merge state from your mother and to develop a distinct personality that has object constancy, meaning uh, that you can see other people as having an inner life independent from you. Like, you know, that there are other people. And I mean, that's, that's an interesting thing in this mix, but of serial killers, but, um, you know, maybe not developing real object constancy or something. But I think that there are corollary stages in adolescence where just like in separation individuation as an infant, you're supposed to achieve certain things that help establish your personality. Same thing with adolescence where you are being birthed in as you know, so so separation individuation is the birth of a psychological, it's a psychological birth. There's a physical birth, psychological birth. And then I think maybe adolescence is like a social birth because there are ways that you start to relate to your to others as more of a, a complex social animal with complex social needs and and uh, feelings and motivations and sexual feelings, and you're you're experiencing yourself uh, as a sexual being in relation to other sexual beings. And so I think there's certain like psychological accomplishments of maturation that are supposed to happen there. And uh, like all, I know certain adults that I like, I'm like, you are trying to go for something that's very adolescent. Like you're trying to get, you're trying to impress somebody in a way that feels like an adolescent trying to impress somebody. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wonder if, you know, there might be like incomplete development or some kind of trauma in that adolescent developmental stage. And so I don't know much, like, I'm just speculating, but um, it seems like a lot of these kind of more incel types uh, because like, you know, we go online so young. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying it's all online, but that, that the alienation 
um, social alienation happens like there's almost not enough time, like time to be around other people to sort of get over the, your fucking and, and work through your fucking fucked up social pain, you know, mm-hmm. that adolescence represents for everybody. It's like, you need to kind of like get the shit beaten out of you in a certain way. And I don't mean that literally. I just mean like right. it's adolescence is extremely painful for everybody. We're depriving ourselves of that because we're online and we're not actually doing it amongst people. Right. I mean, when you're doing it amongst people, you're having all kinds of physiological reactions to being around people. Like play, for example, is a way that you, as a kid, you're testing boundaries and how much excitement and overwhelm you can have. And then when you're teasing people at the lunchroom or something like that, you're also testing your boundaries and other people's boundaries. And you know, you're, you're around a girl and you're tolerating the sexual feelings that you have versus acting on them and the confidence to be able to, you know, get to know her better and to like, you know, have this social and sexual dynamic going on at the same time with somebody. And so if you don't have any of that practice and you're so alienated, but you've got a, an escape or an outlet that like, okay, I can go to like my world of Warcraft or whatever the fuck after school. Uh, then it's like, I compartmentalize where the, my center of gravity is. So I'm not like staying there in the mix of social relations. I'm kind of going to this call of duty bullshit place. Um, a lot of people theorize that people of the LGBTQ community, um, when the reason like a lot of times when, when if you know anyone in the LGBTQ community, when they have their for, first like real relationship as an out gay lesbian bi person um it's oftentimes when they're older and it's oftentimes kind of similar to like uh an immature relationship like something you'd have in middle school because they haven't um had those experiences and those boundaries built up or broken down around their sexuality as an lgbtq person so if someone were to grow up gay and never have that structure built up around their social interactions that could definitely fuck with you interesting it just yeah it would it would pair nicely with emica's theory that a lot of these guys are gay <laughs> serial killers yeah at least that's something that stands out a lot it's just mm-hmm. like this and and even with uh bundy it was just he describes his whole deal that he was getting really obsessive about a certain type of porn and it's just like no it was back at a time where there was really no safe or acceptable way to explore whatever sexuality he was getting off to so yeah i don't i don't know if it's gayness so much as it is uh like some kind of quote unquote unacceptable sexuality right yeah like, yeah like not <laughs> specifically gayness but yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, if some of these guys are momophiles or whatever, <laughs> that's pretty unacceptable sexuality, right? And yeah. It's like we've talked about before on some Thirst Trap episode about how a lot of porn is just you know, like stepmom porn or stepdad porn and <laughs> or step familial stepsister yeah. porn and like, or not just step, just skip the step part and go and straight, just go to, straight the to the mom or the yeah. sister. Oh yeah, yeah. There's um, a lot of that porn out there. So it's like you got these guys dealing with this decades ago. Human weird. beings are just wonderful. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. Fucking weird. <laughs> so you can go to a sex party and you can role play all mm-hmm. this crazy shit that people were killing. Uh, these serial killers were killing people for. 
um, decades ago. Life yeah. is life is just pain, you know. It's just like <laughs> just pain did, after pain after pain until you. Yeah, die. it really is. It's just a meat grinder of pain. I mean, like <laughs> like the trauma of birth, the trauma of separation, then the trauma of have like being this weird, highly energized sexual creature that everything is like against you and everything's trying to humiliate you throughout the whole process and then you know the environment's burning you know it's just like just insane like weird neuroses and power plays and like i mean it's just like just awful like just <laughs> life is just so fucking like this horror show it's just amazing well, and like no one makes it out alive so in grade school and high school looking back that shit's fucking brutal, man. Uh, yeah, totally. You couldn't like, pay you gotta me go enough through? money. Like, <laughs> I like looking back at like kids are fucking mean. <laughs> yeah, terrible. <laughs> yeah. Kids yeah. are. I mean, and you're so insecure at that point. Like, you don't. Re- at least I, I didn't realize how vulnerable you are when you're like 11, 12 years old, and you've got this mob fucking um, dynamic going on in high schools where people are just eating each other alive with um you know attacking each other's self-esteem and all this kind of shit it's like yeah i mean that can break somebody try uh try adding the christian uh sexual weirdness going on oh on yeah on top of all of that in a uh lovely christian high school yeah i can i can relate to that my parents make some really weird shit you went to a christian high school mm-hmm. Yikes. Mm-hmm. I went to a Christian grade school. Mm. I went to K through twelve. Wow, that's no intense. Wonder so kink- no wonder you're so kinky. Yeah, well, they didn't let me get it out when I was younger. So yeah, they say church kids or pastors kids are the biggest freaks. Oh, that, they are. That's, yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I grew up they with are. One of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty great. All right. Anything else? I think it's bedtime. All right, bedtime. The right. <laughs> best time of the day. Bedtime, bedtime, best time. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for talking about serial killers with me, guys. It was yeah, fun. Very interesting, actually. Yeah. yeah. All right, bye. Okay. All right. Bye. Later, guys.